you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. If you've got the YouVersion app, you can get that uh, going on your phone. Um, Mia, I mean, you think, get you to think about a question real quickly. and something I want you to think about. You're going to talk about it with the people around you for a second. But let's just suppose that lunch today, when, when we get out of here in three or four hours from now, no, lunch today, here in a few minutes, we're not that far from it, but lunch today, let's imagine for a minute that lunch today is your last meal. The last meal you will ever eat. All right? And some of you say, if I would have known that, I would have made different plans for lunch today. Right? But if it's your last meal, here's what I want you to think about for just a second. What would you want at your very last meal? What's the last thing you would want or to eat? Or what would, be the la- what would you want at that meal? All right? Take a turn around. Tell somebody around you. Think, talk about it. What, what do you want if it's your last meal? All right, somebody tell me what you'd want for your last meal. Steak. Who's over here? Steak. What kind of steak? Just any kind of steak? Or Fat is key. Well, it doesn't matter, right? So steak, anything with the steak, or just you just want a big piece of meat? Baked potato, bread. Okay, somebody else? I heard ribs over here. Thanksgiving, right? Just an endless buffet of Thanksgiving, all right? Anybody else? Somebody, what do you want for your last meal? Chicken. Who was that? No. Got to have chocolate somewhere at the, at the end of the meal. All right. We got a Cunningham back there that had her hand up. Bacon and ice cream. Sounds good to me. All right. Over the last, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the meals that Jesus ate in the book of Luke and what he was teaching at each of those meals. Now, you could probably not, it doesn't take too much of a jump to realize where we're going today that what we're talking about today is uh, the Last Supper that Jesus ate. And, and it tells us in there, in Scripture, it tells us that, um, that Jesus wants to eat His last meal for the disciples, or with the disciples. And, and He wants to, to have this meal be meaningful and special. He wants it to be something different than just a normal meal. In fact, He chooses the most symbolic meal that the Jewish people would eat all year to be the meal he eats as his last supper with his disciples. It is an interesting question to think about. And most of us won't ever have that option. We won't be able to think through, well, what would, well, you know, this is my last meal, what am I going to eat? Um, it's a fascinating thing to see how people, in fact, there are blogs dedicated, there are websites dedicated to what prisoners who are being executed, what they request for their last meal. It's been in the news a little bit lately because some uh, prisoner in Texas requested like $500 worth of food and then he didn't eat any of it. He just wanted to put it to the system one more time. And so they have these blogs that are up, okay? And it's fascinating to see what people choose. Uh, there, there was one, uh, one person that all they wanted was oatmeal and milk. Somebody just wanted a peach. Um, then there were people that ordered two steaks, two hamburgers, french fries, and a pint of ice cream. All right? We had one guy just wanted a gallon of ice cream and coffee. That's all he wanted. So you get all these interesting things. 
Jesus is very particular about what he wants and he, the setting to be at his Last Supper. It, it is the most famous last meal in history. It has been the inspiration of artists and movies and conspiracy theories. It has been discussed and debated and it is reenacted by millions all over the world. And so today, as we're finishing up this series of messages on feasting with Jesus, we're going to talk about the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever phrase you want to use. Somebody said this about the meal. It says that everything that matters in life is summed up in this meal. Somebody else said that the Lord's Supper is the world in miniature. It has cosmic significance. Within it we find clues to the meaning of all creation, all history, the nature of God, the nature of man, the mystery of the world, Christ. Even though this table can stand at the center of our attention, its effects stretch out to the four corners of the earth. What happened in that night is that Jesus called them to eat this final meal. And what we want to talk about today is, well, what do we learn from that? Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I love how Jesus is is saying, listen. It's almost as if he's saying that one of the things I have wanted to do most before I fulfill God's calling on my life is to have a meal with you. Now, we've seen throughout the book of Luke that Jesus eats with all kinds of people. He eats with um, tax collectors. He eats with sinners. He eats with Pharisees. He eats at large groups. He eats with multitudes for 5,000 people. And that each of those had been different things. What we hadn't seen until this point in our study is Jesus eating with just his friends. And he says, before I go, I want to eat with you. Perhaps a a more telling question for some of us in this room would not be, what do we want on the table when it comes time for our last meal? But who would we want around it? I tell you, I will not eat it again, he says in verse 16, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this. And share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on I will not drink of the fruit or the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, This is my cup. I mean, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after the supper and said, This cup is the new covenant shed for you. Verse 21 goes on to tell us that after that he, he, he predicts the betrayal that's about to come and Verse 22, the Son of Man way will go has been determined, but woe to the man whom is betrayed. In verse 23, they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do this. Four things I want us to see about the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And so we're going to move quickly through these things, but that doesn't mean they're not important. Each one of these things are what the meal is, or what it represents, or what it should be. It's easy as believers to just come and to take the bread and to drink the juice and just say, well, there we go, I did that. It's, it's what we do on every fifth Sunday here at the church or every couple of three months. And go, so I, mean, I don't even know when we do it. I just walk in, I see the stuff down there. It's just what we do. It's just part of who we are. And, and let me ask you this question. Does this 
Lord's Supper hold any significance for you at all? Another way to ask that is this. If we just stopped doing it, just stopped doing it, we didn't announce it, we just stopped. How long would it take you before you noticed we weren't doing it? And two, would it really make a difference? More than just, well, that's what we've always done at the church, or I grew up, we did it, or we did it every week at my church, or we did it every once a year at my church, or whatever. What's the significance of it? Four things I think that it ought to be for us and that should be this morning is, first of all, this meal is an act of remembrance. This meal is an act of remembrance. Jesus says that to them there in Luke twenty-two nineteen. He says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He chose the most symbolic and meaningful meal that the Jewish people would eat all year to put some new life into it. This meal, the Passover meal that they were sharing, was something that would have been passed down from generation to generation, from father to son to the next generation, and so forth. Great-great-grandfathers would have passed the tradition down to their sons, who would have passed it down to their sons, and for generations since the Passover it had happened. Now, you remember the Passover, right? If you're older, you probably remember the Passover visualized in something like the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston doing the Passover thing. If you're a little younger, maybe the Prince of Egypt, the animated thing, you know. But you remember that, that God rescued the Israelites out of slavery? Uh, they, they killed the lamb. They put the blood over the doorpost when the death angel came by and it spared those that had the blood. And so God passed over them. And every year, the Jewish people would take time to talk about, think about that event. As they gathered around the table, they would have passed it on from generation to generation. This is what God did for us. It became part of their family legacy. Now, we have things like that in our families. We have things that we pass on, that we celebrate, that we give to the next generation. Uh, I've said this before, but one of those moments in my life was when uh, I was growing up and I'd been called to preach and I was in college and I went to Thanksgiving dinner, and my gramps at Thanksgiving dinner at the Edwards house, that's my mom's side of the family, they, gramps always said the prayer. And I vividly remember him saying on one Thanksgiving, Lyle, I want you to do the prayer this year. It was passing on something from a generation to the next. Um, Eli and I were watching a little baseball this week. Right? Y'all know there's some baseball games, right? Just making sure. Um, and we were watching it, and he had heard me say at some point, I don't know where, that, that I like the Texas Rangers. And he said, Dad, I thought, do you like the Rangers? I said, I do like the Rangers. I have, you know, I lived in Dallas-Fort Worth for three years. I went to Rangers games while I was there. I had the Rangers hat. I have one in my house still. I had Rangers t-shirt. I actually, at a Rangers game, caught one of the shirts shot out of the t-shirt cannon, you know. Uh, so, we, you know, I, I only knocked over two people to get it. And I wish that weren't true, but it is. Um, and so I, I like the Rangers. And he said, well, Daddy, if you like the Rangers, why aren't you rooting for them against the Cardinals? And I said, well, let me give you a little history lesson. I'm a Cardinals fan. My dad's a Cardinals fan. My dad's dad is a Cardinals fan. And my dad's dad, dad is a Cardinals fan. It's just part of who we are. And guess what? You're a Cardinals fan too, all right? Just 
passes from generation to generation. Now, living in this area, there are some Cardinals fans that have sons that are Braves fans. And I just I apologize for that. Now, this kind of stuff is much more important than anything like that. But you, you get the idea, right? You pass it on from generation to generation. Well, Jesus here is saying, what you have been doing with the Passover meal, we're about to change. And what you're going to do is for generation to generation to generation, you're going to do this remembering what's about to happen. So from the moment these guys sat around the table with Jesus, they were remembering what He was doing. They didn't have any clue that the crucifixion and the resurrection was coming. They probably should have, but they didn't. But when they got together and started celebrating this meal together after that, it tied them back to the upper room. I can imagine in those first days of the church as they're gathering and having their feast and they're celebrating the Lord's Supper together that one of them would stand up and say, we can remember it like it was yesterday as we sat in that upper room with Jesus. And then as it spread through Asia and northern Africa and up into what is Europe today, as people gathered around the table. They were tied back to the upper room where this celebration happened around the table. And as it went from uh, these small places and even to the catacombs of Rome where they were endangered because of their faith in Jesus, even to the places where they would be proclaiming boldly in spite of persecution who Jesus was. As it went to the cathedrals of the Europe and the Middle Ages, people were celebrating the Lord's Supper and reflecting on that upper room experience. As it has come to the new world and to our country, as people sought freedom and were passing on from generation to generation what is happening and remembering that what happened with Jesus in the upper room. So even as we partake of it today, we are in a spiritual way directly connected to the events in the upper room on that night. It's an amazing thing to think about. This is something that has been passed down for 2,000 years for us to remember. It's an act of remembrance. Secondly, it's an act of community. It's not just remembrance, it's community. What I mean by that is, he's gathered these guys around, he's got them there, he says, when you all get together to do this, the idea is, when you come back together, when you get around the table, when you have the celebration, when you, when you remember what everything is about, remember what I did for you, but also use this as the rallying cry as you go out into the world in my name. This ought to be this remembrance ought to be the thing that ties us together, that binds us together, that rallies us around what is important in life. It ought to be the thing that gets us motivated to go out there and to do great things for the Lord together. Now, ironically, it doesn't always serve that purpose. In fact, in this story, it doesn't. I mean, think about this. We have one of the most amazing things to ever happen on the history of the earth as Jesus foretells his death and wants to spend one last meal with his friends and the thing that happens immediately after the meal is what? What happens in Luke right after the meal? They start to fight. They start to argue with each other. Don't you think that they would have realized something big just happened? Would do this in remembrance of me? They, they start yelling at each other. First of all, they start yelling at each other because Jesus is the one who's going to betray me. And they're like, playing that. that's not me, game. 
I know who it might be, but it is not me. Well, who do you think? Well, I'm not going to say, Peter, but I mean, he might be. So they're having that debate. And then it tells us, if you read a little further, and you can go back and read that this afternoon, if you read a little further, they start arguing about, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm the best one here. And they start arguing about who's the greatest. And they just had Jesus give them this meal and this moment, and they can't help but argue about it. The intention is it to bring us together. Uh, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, they had started to, to fight uh, even over the Lord's Supper stuff. And he says, listen, they ought to bring you together because there's one bread. We who are many of one, are one body, for we are all partaking of one bread. The idea literally is that in spite of our differences, in spite of what's happening, in spite of everything that's going on, the one thing we can hold on to is our belief and our love and our understanding of who Jesus is. I was uh, watching television yesterday, and uh, it was lunchtime, we were eating lunch, and I sat down and I turned on the uh, Vanderbilt uh, football game. And... People think I don't like Vanderbilt because I like Tennessee. That doesn't have to be the case. I, like, I, I watch Vanderbilt. I root for them. Um, I don't agonize when they miss a chip shot field goal at the end of the game to lose. But uh, I watch them. And they had this kind of neat thing. I didn't know about it. Some of you that are Vanderbilt fans may know about this. But before the game starts, they have the walk like everybody does. But they had this thing where they bring in a golden anchor. You know, they're the Commodores because naturally um, we're seafaring people in Nashville. And so they're the Commodores. And... And they bring in um, the anchor. They have this golden anchor. And it's symbolically brought in by one person on the offense and one person on the defense every week. And the symbolism is, no matter what side of the ball we play on or what part we play, we are together fighting for the same thing. Now, sports teams are notorious for having crazy things like that. When Tennessee won their national championship back in 98, they had a stick that everybody just rallied around the stick. Uh, when the Cardinals this year started to really play well, they rallied around a squirrel. Because in the middle of two games in a row, the squirrel ran on the field, and right after it, the Cardinals came back and won. So they had a guy with a fake squirrel, and he carried it everywhere they went. All right? I mean, they rally around crazy stuff like that. What this says is, for us as a community, the rallying cry, the thing we rally around, is the truth contained in this meal. That Jesus Christ gave His life for us. That His body was broken for you and for me, and that His blood was spilled for us. That is our rallying cry. I mean, you've all heard crazy things that churches end up getting upset and mad and split over, right? I mean, drape color, carpet color. Um, in the first church, there was the idea about people were getting mistreated. They say, that stuff doesn't matter. Whatever side of the issue you fall on, that doesn't matter. What matters is rallying around the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done. The meal is an act of community. Thirdly, it's an act of dependence. He wanted them to realize. We, we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, John chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And He says, those who eat of Me will never hunger again. And the idea there is if you partake in who Jesus is, obviously that's not physically, if you partake in who He is, then you will be renewed and refreshed on a daily basis. 
And what he's saying to them is he's reminding them this, this meal is to be a reminder of our dependence upon the Lord. Even when life doesn't turn out like we want it to, we need to depend on Him. Luke chapter 4, 4, a few chapters back, is when he says in the temptation account, man does not live by bread alone. And Luke eleven three says that we are to pray for the Lord to give us our daily bread. And that's much more than just physical nourishment. The act there is that we are constantly dependent on Him. What we come to when we come to the table, what it teaches us is that outside of Christ, we have no hope. I mean, part of the theology of the table is this, is that we have to have someone to give their life for us because we can't do it on our own. And we have to depend on Him. Part of the acknowledgement when you take the bread and you drink the cup is that the Lord is the one that provided everything. I did nothing here. And I am dependent on Him. And here's the last thing. It's an act of formation. This is what I mean by that. This is one of those things that the Lord has built into our lives. It ought to be a habit, and I mean that in a good way, that ought to be part of our devotion to Him that prepares us when life comes against us. Just like reading your Bible on a regular basis, praying on a regular basis, being a part of a fellowship of believers on a regular basis, confession on a regular basis, talking to... uh, Uh, friends and family on a regular basis about what the Lord is doing, being in a church small group on a regular basis, just as those things that help form our character, so is this meal. Because there are times in life when you've got to react to what's happening. It's been a couple of years ago now, but on January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport. And as it took off and began to climb and was getting to altitude, it ran into a flock of geese. How many of you remember that story? Ran into a flock of geese. Um, Engines began shutting down. At the helm that day was Captain Chelsea Sullenberger. And he realized very quickly that the plane was going down. And... This was not one of those moments when he had time to pull out the instruction manual to figure out what to do when geese fly into your engines. Anybody remember, where did he fly the plane? Where did he land it? Hudson River, because that's where you land planes, right? Now, he had to just think and react. But it was based on, if you, if you heard him talk about it, he made decisions based on the years of training that he had had. It wasn't like he had to go back and think, well, I need to figure out a manual here, a manual there. The truth is, now, most of us don't have those kind of dramatic moments in life. But there are moments that come at us in our Christian walk with the Lord that we need to react. And we can't have time to go, wait just a minute, let me go investigate that for three or four days. You're going to get in a situation with a co-worker. You're in a situation at school. You're going to get in a situation in a relationship where you don't have time to say, Let me think about it. Or, can you give me some time? You've got to react. And your reaction is based on how you've been formed. Now, the Lord's Supper isn't the only thing that forms us, but it's part of it. It becomes part of our life. and It ought to just get into who we are and remembering what Jesus had done. 